Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Today, welcome to One Life Church, everybody. Anybody excited to be at church this morning? Can I hear a good amen? (laughs) If I've not had the opportunity to introduce myself to you, my name is Rhett, and uh, I have the honor, and it is really the honor of my life to get to be the lead pastor here at One Life Church and come alongside you, who are my family, and to serve you and to love God together. And uh, it really is the joy of my life. And so today is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, As Nick mentioned, we're kicking off a new series today called It's Complicated, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way, okay? And so to help me kick off this series, I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a moment. We have a special guest today in the house. Um, But before I introduce him, uh, he really isn't a special guest. He's a family member. But before I introduce him, I just want to remind us of a couple things. Today is an exciting day, everybody, because say this with me. Say small groups. Small groups are not what we do, it is who we are, everyone, and our small group semester kicks off today, and I am excited. Anybody else excited about that? Come on. And so what are small groups? Well, they're intended to be groups that are small to create an opportunity for community, which ultimately leads to what we believe Bible teaches us, God's Word teaches us, which is life change. The way we say it here is life change happens in the context of life-giving relationships. Now, notice I didn't say perfect relationships because they do not exist. We are all on this journey together. Uh, But I want to encourage you today, if you haven't already done so, go to our website, olc.com church or you can text OLC groups to 94,000 and what will pop up on your phone is a link to our small group directory on our website Uh, and what will happen is I just want to encourage you my friends you probably noticed all the tables with balloons outside right well we do something at the beginning of every small group semester when we start it we call it launch day and so today you're going to have the opportunity when you leave here to get to connect with all the leaders and the different people and the different groups that may interest you and If you're not one of those people that like to walk up to a table and meet a complete stranger, we get that. I understand, okay? Uh, We also have the online directory that gives you the ability to kind of shop the groups as well. But I would encourage you at some point, just understand the meaning and the context of why we do groups is because we were not meant to do life alone. Listen, nobody ever had done anything of significance alone. And God's word has a lot to talk about it. And if you've been here for any time at all, or maybe you're new here today, this is not what we do. It is who we are. In fact, if there was only one thing that we would continue to do in our church, it would be small groups. They are that important. It's how we pastor people. It's how we minister to people. And so I tell people all the time, the best way you're going to get pastored here at One Life Church is to be in a small group. This is how we do pastoral care at One Life Church. So at some point today, I'd encourage you, text OLC groups to 94,000, click on the link, go to our website, click on a picture that looks just like that. Shop around, shop around, shop around. How many of y'all like to shop? Come on. Come on, all right? Like, I've got two people raising their hand. I know y'all lying, all right? So you like to shop, do the same thing with a group, go find a group, and, and here's the thing. You might go to one and be like, ah, they're good people, but it really wasn't my flow. That's okay. 
That's okay, right? We teach our leaders to understand that not every fit is going to be a great fit, and that's okay, but just keep going. Maybe the first one didn't work out. Maybe the second one didn't work out, but I'm telling you, we saved the best for last. Maybe that third group that you try will be the one that you're like, man, I found my new best friend. This is amazing. All right, so small groups are kicking off. We're very excited about that. And hey, I want to do something we do every Sunday. As I look into the camera today, I want to welcome our online church family, all those in the room today. Throw your hands together. Make our online church family feel welcome. It's great to have you along for the ride. You are our family, and many of you text us, you email us, and we are so thankful for that. We're partnered with you through prayer, however you are joining us. All right, you guys, we are starting off a new series today. It's complicated, but it doesn't have to be that way. We have an incredible man of God in the house. He is a dear friend of mine, and he's more than a friend. He is family. And to give you a little backstory, he may share a little bit about this, but my family and I moved here in January 2018 to plant One Life Church, and we launched our church in September. And around the summer of 2018, uh, Pastor Cody and his wife Brandy uh, and their family, they moved here as well to plan a church kicking off in 2019. And so we had the opportunity and the pleasure to have Pastor Cody and his wife come alongside, help us plant our church, served us for like six to nine months before they went and planted Create Church right here in Boise, Idaho. Come on, somebody. And so uh, today, yeah, it's today. This is not a special guest. This is a family member. He's one of us. In fact, I think he'll share maybe a little bit of some stories of how he served on the team as well alongside some of you. But can you do this, man? The Bible teaches us to show honor. I would love for you to throw your hands together and make Pastor Cody Burbage from Create Church in Boise, Idaho feel welcome today. Come on, let him know how much you love him. Amen. Oh, man, I'm so excited to be here. I truly, truly love this church with all my heart, and I love your pastors so much. Um, it, it's so good to be back. I haven't been here in two and a half years. We launched our church two and a half years ago, a year right after One Life Church launched, and um, it's so good to be back here because when we first moved here, we didn't know anybody, and um, we're, we're not from Alabama. We're from South Carolina. It's like the South's taken over the North Pacific Northwest. Um, but, but, but anyway, we moved here. We didn't know anybody except Pastor Rhett and Linda, and uh, they were so kind to us. Uh, like he said, we got, to, we got to be a part of the launch team. One of the greatest privileges of my life is getting to serve as a greeter on launch day for One Life Church right outside that door. And... Um, and uh, almost better than being the pastor of my own church plan. I'll be honest with you. It was that cool. And uh, anyway, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for you, Pastor Rhett, for Linda, um, for how much they have encouraged us. I mean, not only have you guys sown a financial seed into Create Church to launch us, um, but just the emotional, relational support that it takes to keep doing this every single week is, has been huge. So thank you so much um, to you guys. I'm so glad to be here and honored to kick off this series. It's complicated as, as we're talking about relationships. And um, I want to just teach today from a, a text in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 8. I want to read it to you. And then I want to just spend some time kind of breaking it down chunk by chunk and seeing what the Lord has for us. Does that sound good to you guys? Take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. It says that it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, 
and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. The Lord will punish all of those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. If you're like me, um, you like to take notes because you remember stuff when you write stuff down. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you a title to my sermon today that might seem a little, a little weird at first, but hopefully it'll make sense as we get into it. Um, I want to give this, this message the title of Black Box. Black Box. Can we pray one more time and ask God to be with us? Lord, thank you so much for this church family. God, for so thank you so much for all that you've done here in the city of Nampa, throughout the Treasure Valley, through this church. And God, it's an honor and privilege to be here today to get to share your word. So I pray, God, you would take over in this moment. I am not equipped to do the thing that you have called me to do, and I need the help of your Holy Spirit. So I pray you come, give me the words to say, and God, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to grow in our relationships, our marriages. Uh, God, help us to, to be ambassadors for you here and now so that the world may see the light and come to it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Black box. Black box. You know, um, on every single commercial airplane, there is a device called a black box. Did you know that? Um, every single commercial airplane has this device called a black box, and it is actually not black, and it is actually not a box, but we call it a black box. But it's on every single commercial plane because in the beginning, during kind of you know air travel and all that kind of stuff, things were happening, and these planes were having these accidents and they were crashing. And the problem was is that nobody was really surviving these things. And so they couldn't learn from the experience. And so they couldn't learn what was going wrong. Uh, and so what they did in the 1950s is, is this guy created this device called a black box. And he put it on every single commercial plane. And what it does is as the plane is in air, it records metrics and data about the plane that in the event of a crash or in the event of an accident or in the event of an emergency, this box can be looked at. It can be studied to figure out what went wrong. And so what happens is, is that after this black box is created, so many crashes, uh, so basically crashes stopped happening is because we were able to start taking information and learning from these experiences so that we could avoid it going wrong again. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about that for just a second. In every commercial plane, there's this device that as it's in the air, it doesn't matter if it's a long flight, short flight, doesn't matter who's on the plane, doesn't matter where it's coming from, 88 different metrics are being taken on the plane. Altitude, wind pressure, temperature, weather, time, all that kind of stuff. Not only does it measure 88 different metrics, but it also has four different microphones inside the cockpit, constantly listening to every bit of dialogue and conversation between air traffic control to the pilot or from pilot to co-pilot or pilot to stewardess, all these different things that are being constantly measured. And I was thinking about this, this concept of a black box and I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if we all had black boxes. 
Because I'll, I'll just tell you guys, as a pastor, one of my main jobs is counseling people. It's sitting down. It's, it's doing premarital counseling. It's doing one-on-one -on -one personal counseling. It's, it's doing marriage counseling for people who've been married for a long time. It's, it's doing grief counseling with people who've lost a loved one. And, and the hardest part of being a pastor, the hardest part of doing this counseling oftentimes is kind of hearing the person's story to determine what went wrong. And a lot of times, we, you know, the first couple counseling, first couple meetings you're meeting with somebody is you're sitting there, you're trying to figure out where did things go wrong? What if every single one of us, just like these commercial airplanes, had a black box that was constantly measuring metrics and data as we lived our lives, especially in a relational context? I mean, think about this for a second. You're, you know, you, you're in middle school, you're in high school, you try to holler at a boy, holler at a girl, you know what I mean? You, 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 you meet your spouse in college, you know, you get married, you've been married for the first 10 years, you start to have children. What if we could collect all this data? What if we could collect all this information about your relationship? What if there was actually microphones that constantly were recording every bit of dialogue between you and your spouse? How many of y'all would not want to hear that file? Come on. <laughs> I mean, think about it if there were these microphones that not only recorded the, the, the conversations you have with your spouse, but the conversations you and I have in our heads about our relationships. Like every single negative thought, every single encouraging thought that you've ever thought, what if it could be recorded? What if every single conversation that was ever spoken over you as a child was recorded? I mean, can you think about every single conversation that somebody had with you in middle school? And if, if you and I could sit down and play back that black box information, go back and look at the data, go back and listen to the audio files and figure out where did things get a little messy? Where did things go wrong? It'd be pretty helpful in us trying to determine how maybe the relationships that we're in right now are a little more complicated than they really should be. Because the truth is, is that every single one of us has these experiences, good, bad, or indifferent. We all have these experiences, and we bring these experiences into every relationship we go into, especially a romantic relationship. You could say that we kind of have a trunk, and we've got a lot of different things in it. And when you and I go to a relationship, we, we bring that junk with us. I, we all have a little junk in our trunk. Come on, somebody, right? And what we do is we end up, you know, we, we, we kind of meet somebody and we say, hey, you know, I've got a little bit of baggage, what you got, you know, we're not really that honest, are we? We're like, hey, you know, how are you? You know, it's good to meet you. I'm perfect. My name's, you know, Cody. I like long walks on the beach. The truth is, is that we all got stuff. And the more baggage you bring into a relationship, the more complicated it gets, isn't it? A lot of times I'll sit down with couples and I'll talk to them about their marriages. I'll talk to them about their relationships. And I find that most of their problems stem from relationships they had before they were married and less from the relationship they're currently in because it matters. And we carry those things with us as we go in and out of relationships. And man, if we could just kind of sit down and kind of take a look at how we built this thing, how we, how we built our marriages, how we built our relationships, maybe we could figure out where things went a little wrong. Maybe we could figure out where things got a little too complicated. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world has a way that it teaches us to build these relationships. And oftentimes I find that this, this way that the world is propagating to us as, as a proper way to build a relationship often makes it more complicated than it needs to be.
Can we get real for a second? I, I, know, I know I don't normally speak here, and I know we're talking about a real intimate topic, but I just, I want to be, I want to be, I want to keep it 100 in here today. Can we keep it 100? All right, so what the world to me is, is propagating is, is a way to build a relationship that is contrary to the way that God would actually call us to build a relationship. Because what the world would tell you is this first is that the, the way that a relationship starts is on a physical level, Right? We, we've got that first box, and it kind of starts on a, on a physical level. We're visual creatures, and we see physical attributes, and we see that girl across the room. We see that guy across the room, and we think, man, yeah, Lord, please, thank you. <laughs> and we get into this relationship, and it usually starts with a physical, a physical context, right, which is not necessarily bad, but when we cross certain lines and certain boundaries that God has preserved for a certain time and a certain context, things get messy. And so what we do is we, sight, we see somebody, we think, oh man, she is beautiful, he is gorgeous, you know, and I just wanna be with that. We end up kind of jumping a few of the, of the processes that, that build a healthy relationship. And what we end up with is we get out, we, we, we kind of cross some lines, whether it's just a little kiss here or a little handhold here or, or, or a little, you know, not going to talk about that, right? Wait, I get to cross some lines. What happens is we realize, though, is that relationships just aren't physical. Like while that maybe takes up a lot of our attention span, it actually plays a very small part in the relationship. Anybody married in the room knows, like, there's a lot more to it than just that, Right? You were a teenager at one point and you thought that's what it was all about and you realized, okay, what am I gonna do with the rest of my time, right? Because life is much, marriage is so much more. And if you're not married in here today, I'm just trying to help you out, okay? I'm just trying to set you up. So what happens is, is you start building the relationship on the physical, but you realize, you know what? It's not just physical because we're not just physical beings. It, it's not just, it's not just a, a, a hot date. It's not just a one night stand. It, it's not just sex, we're not just physical people. We actually have emotions, right? And what happens is, is you get physical with somebody before you realize the emotional kind of part of them. And you get in this relationship and you realize, oh, okay, okay, man, he's really needy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not just beautiful. He actually, he's actually really needy and he's really sensitive and, you know, like he's got a lot of feelings and I don't really know how to process all of that. But, but you've already gotten physical with him and so now you've got to kind of deal with the emotional part of it too. Or you get into the relationship and you realize she's gorgeous, but she's, she's very, very high maintenance, right? And, and you don't know that you have the, the broadband, you don't have the broadband to kind of bring up, this gentleman's over here is nodding his head so hard. <laughs> Brother, I just want to help you out. I just want to help you out, man. You know what I'm saying? But what we realize, we get in this relationship, we realize there's emotions to it, you know? You were looking for somebody who was maybe a little bit more emotionally deep, and you realized you married this guy, and you're like, you know, you got physical with this guy, and you realize there's just not much there. Amen, ladies? Like, you're, you're, you're wanting some emotional connection, and there's just, the truth is, he's not thinking anything. Inside of his head, it's just the sound of a dormant fan, just humming. Mm. But you've already crossed that physical boundary before you realize that there wasn't much there. But we're not just physical. We're not just emotional beings. There's actually another part to us. There's the interpersonal. Because every person, they have a body and they have emotions, but they also have opinions. And we live in the era where opinions are, you know, are in vast supply. 
Like, it, it's a, it's, there's no shortage there, right? And so you get into this relationship with this person, you realize they've got some weird opinions. Like, they've got some weird feelings on things, you know? Even though you're a pretty conservative Republican, you realize that liberals are beautiful too, and, and they're not different colors. Like, you can't tell from looking at them. And then you're like, oh, man, like, how are we going to, like, gosh, we, we don't see eye to eye on anything. You know, you realize that people just have some weird quirks. Like, you know, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't actually. But you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you get in a relationship, you've crossed the physical boundary, you started getting emotional, and then you realize that she just does silly things. Like, like she leaves the forks up in the dishwasher where you, like, stab yourself every time you put your hand in the dishwasher. What's wrong with this woman? This is what my wife does. Or, or maybe you realize, like, he, he's just kind of different. He's not really the man I was kind of imagining myself with. He's got like six cats at home and, and you know, they're all named after Power Ranger characters. You know, it's just really weird. I don't, I don't, I should have asked these questions before we got physical. Am I right? So you're like, oh man, there's more to it because we're not just physical. There's not, it's not just emotional. There's, there's, there's interpersonal stuff. You know, there's opinions and there's views and it's a lot. It, it gets really complicated. But it doesn't just stop there. Because when you get into a relationship with somebody, you don't just get in a relationship with them, you get in a relationship with the other people that they have relationships with. How many of you guys know when you married your spouse, you also married their parents, right? Thank God for in-laws. My, 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 my wife's mom's name is Tammy. And Tammy was a package deal. She came with Brandy. You know what I mean? And even though Tammy and I, we, we, we didn't see eye to eye on a bunch of things, we had this common connection through Brandy. And, 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 but we'd already gone, you know, we, if, we, if we already go physical, we've already gone emotional, we've already gotten inter, interpersonal, you kind of just get stuck with the people that your, your spouse or your significant other brings in with them. And, and, and what happens is you end up finding a lot about people through their social connections, my mentor used to tell me something so impactful. He said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so what happens is, is that he seems really mature. He seems like he's a really good guy with a good head on his shoulders, but then you get around his friends and they're talking about playing Dungeons and Dragons later in their mom's basement. You know what I mean? Because, because you can lie to a girl, but, but your friends will reveal the truth. Can we be real? And so you, you start to get in a relationship with somebody and you realize it's not just them. It's their social connections that everybody's bringing in. But it doesn't just stop there. No, it's getting messier because then, then you've got the spiritual aspect, right? Which we usually save for last. Like the world kind of says, hey, save that for last. You, you get to the point where you start having children together and you have to start making decisions together based on worldviews. How are you going to teach your kids? How are you going to raise your kids? You get into the relationship, you're, you're a couple years in, you've been physical, you've been emotional, you, you've got social connections, you've got interpersonal connections. And then you start asking the question of like, hey, what do you think happens to us when we die? And what you didn't realize is the person you've been dating or you've been married to for five years doesn't even believe in the God that you believe in. And it starts to get real messy real fast when you're trying to make decisions of how do you parent your children? You know, you, you realize the person that you're with doesn't believe in absolute truth. It becomes a real problem because if you don't believe in absolute truth, how can you believe in absolute faithfulness? So it gets real messy. I mean, what do you do when you realize your spouse has a completely different worldview? What do you, what do, you do when, when, when you realize that you were Catholic or he's Catholic and she was raised Jewish? And, and, I mean, it, it gets complicated real fast. But this is the way that the world tells us to build a relationship. Well, you got to start physical, man. You got to make sure that 
that you like it, you got to take it off the lot, take it for a test drive. You got to kick the tires a little bit because you don't want to end up with somebody who doesn't meet your needs, right? And then you kind of open up the world, you know, you get emotional and then you, then you can get a little bit more interpersonal and social and spiritual. But I think there's a better way. I think there's a better way to build a relationship. And maybe you're married in here today and you've been married for like 40 years. Maybe you've been married for just about 10 years, two years. Maybe you're engaged. Maybe you're single right now. The truth is, is that there's a good news. There's a better way to do it. And even if you've been married for a long time, you can still fix it. So I want to look at this verse for a little bit, and I want to show you a few things here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 8. So let's, let's just go through it with a fine-tooth comb. Look at it here. It says, it is God's will. Can we stop right there for a second? God's will is probably the hottest question of all Christianity. There is a reason that The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren is the best-selling book second to the Bible of all time. No other book has sold more copies. I got a lot of young people in my church, a lot of college kids, a lot of BSU students. They always want to know, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? It's, it's not as hard as we make it. It's not as complicated as we make it. In fact, Paul actually lays it out right here for us. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Let me lay it out real flat for you today. If you're not growing in your sanctification, if you're not progressing in your sanctification, you are outside the will of God. And that's heavy. I know that's a lot. But man, it's, it's pretty clear. See, we want to know what God's will is as far as like the big things. Like, should we start a business? You know what I mean? Should I, kind of, should I move around my 401k? Should, should I invest in this? Should I buy that house? It's not really that complicated. It's pretty simple here. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What is sanctification? Actually, I have a definition for you here. Sanctification is living in a manner that is consistent with the character and the commands of God. There's two, two churchy words I want to show you today, okay? Number one is justification. Number two is sanctification. Justification is the moment you gave your life to Jesus and you started following him. It happens one time. It is an event. The other word is sanctification, which starts at that moment. It's not an event. It is a journey that you and I are on from the day we give our life to Jesus to the day we meet him face to face. And the goal that God has for you in your life is, is that every day you and I would become more sanctified more conformed into the image of his son, becoming more and more like him. You want to know what God's will is? Paul says it right here. It's to be growing in your relationship with God every single day. Let me just ask you a simple question. Are you becoming more sanctified in 2022 than you were in 2021? Is your marriage growing in its sanctification this year more than it was last year? Can we get a little bit tougher, a little bit harder? Is your lusting habits shrinking every year? Is your struggle with pornography getting easier or harder every year? Because it's very clear here that God's will is for us is that we would be sanctified. We would be growing and progressing. And yes, man, all of us make mistakes. All of us, all of us take a bad turn or, or look back at a life that we left behind us. But the goal is, is that we would constantly be moving forward. But again, we, we're not really interested in, in that kind of part of God's will. We, we want the big things. Like, God, do I need to go to China this year? Do, do I need to go and, 
and invest a lot of money in, into this missionary. God, like, God, do I, need to, do I need to go here? Do I need to go there? Do we need to move to Texas? No one needs to move to Texas. Lord, Lord, that would never be the Lord's will. Um, listen, I'm just, just being honest. Um, what is God's big will for my, for my life? That's what we want to know, isn't it? Let me tell you something. If you're not faithful in the little, you won't be faithful in the big. You, you're talking about wanting to go to China. Listen, you just, need to, you just need to do the things that God has very clearly put in his word. It is God's will that we would be sanctified. And he continues in this. He actually puts a little bit of a, a colon there. He says, it is, the, it is God's will that you would be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. So when, when Paul is teaching us what God's will is, he very specifically tells us that it's in regards to sexual immorality. The word there, avoid, I feel like is, it's an okay translation. A better word there for, for, for that sentence would be to abstain. To me, avoid sounds like, hey, if you can avoid it, you know, if you can kind of go around it, you know what I mean? Like, not trying to tell you what to do with your life and not trying to, not trying to be a prude here or anything, you know what I mean? Not trying to be a square. But um, if you can go around it, you know, try to, uh, try to go around it. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying abstain from it. He's saying run from it. He's saying, listen, if there's something in your life that draws you to it, turn the opposite direction and run. Avoid it with everything you have because it will ruin your relationship. It will complicate your relationship. It will add so much junk in here that when you bring it to your significant other, you will be such a mess. Your marriage will be such a mess. And some of us today, maybe I drove all the way 30 minutes from Boise just to tell somebody this today. Maybe where things went a little bit wrong. It's just in your, it's in your lackadaisical approach to sexual morality. Maybe you don't take it that seriously. But Paul here wants us to take it extremely seriously. Avoid sexual morality. The word there in the Greek for sexual morality is a very interesting word to me. It is pronounced porneia. Porneia. Porneia would be kind of a drunk drawer word for all things sexual outside of the context of marriage. Porneia is where we get our actual word pornography. And what Paul is saying here is anything sexual outside of the relationship between a man and a wife and a covenant marriage is sexual morality and you need to avoid it. Now, why does Paul hit so hard on this one particular topic? This might be hard for us to understand. Obviously, a lot has changed in 2,000 years. But the culture that Paul is writing to is struggling with what is okay sexually and what is not okay sexually. We would never, we wouldn't get that, would we? You know, the world's so advanced now, like we've totally passed that. I, I laugh when people tell me how bad the world has gotten. Can I tell you the truth? You, you just live a little bit. You kind of see that this is the pattern that just kind of keeps circling, right? We keep kind of doing the same things. It doesn't matter if we have iPhones or not. Like we keep getting into the same trouble that we've always gotten into for the last 2,000 years. And Paul, when he's writing to this church in Thessalonica that he planted years before, he knows that they're in a city and in a culture that propagates a type of relationship that is based in sexual morality, not in doing it God's way. And I think there's a lot of similarities to that culture and to our culture. 
And so Paul is specifically hitting on this topic of porneia because he knows that the culture is so infusing this into the church. And there's a better, a better way. He says you should avoid, you should abstain from sexual morality, that each of you should learn to possess, I'm sorry, learn to control your own body. I was doing a, a little bit of a literal translation on that phrase that you should learn to control your own body. And this is what I found. It said, basically, what the literal translation of that word would say is you need to possess your vessel. I love that. Possess your vessel. When you think about your life, do you allow the spirit to possess the flesh? Or do you let the flesh possess the spirit? As we look out on our culture, I think you guys would agree with me that it's that we let our body kind of lead our spirit. We let the vessel possess the mind versus the mind possess the vessel. And what Paul here knows that is is that our bodies are going to tell us things sometimes that aren't necessarily true. Can I get an amen from anybody? Come on. There are things that sometimes you're going to desire that your flesh is going to desire that is not necessarily a good thing. And we should not let our flesh possess us, but we should possess our vessel. What you feed most becomes strongest. And a lot of us are are feeding our flesh so much that our spirit is so weak in comparison. Like we know the things that are right. We know the things that we should be doing and shouldn't be doing. But because we have put so much food, so much energy into fulfilling those physical desires, we almost seem like it's, it's so strong that we could never fight it. And listen, I want to tell you the truth today. I want to set you free today. You can possess your vessel. God has given you his spirit to live inside of you, and that's stronger. You've just got to start feeding it, which is so great. That's what's so great about fasting. This is what fasting is all about. Fasting is starving your vessel so that your mind becomes stronger. Prayer is what builds up the mind. Fasting is what starves the flesh. Paul here says, listen, if we're going to do this the uncomplicated way, you can't let every urge and every physical desire you have drive your, drive your life. That will lead you to a path of destruction. He says here that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. I love this. In a way that is holy and honorable. See, he's He's kind of creating two planes here. He says, you need to possess your vessel in a way that is holy and honorable. Holy being like a vertical relationship in the way that we possess our vessel that honors God. And then honor in a way that we possess our vessel that honors our neighbor. Jesus said the most important commandment was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul here is saying, listen, this isn't just an issue of you obeying God. It's also an issue of you loving the people next to you because every decision that we make, it impacts the people around us. He says here that we should, that we should do it in a holy way, in an honorable way. Verse five, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. Maybe, maybe you're sitting out there and you're like, yeah, you know, it's not really. 
This is a good message for those, those single folks who really need to hear this. Can I just be honest with you for a second? The temptation to step outside of God's will and his context for my life has been just as strong, if not stronger, since I've been married than before I was married. Some of you guys who are single, you think it's going to go away when you get married. Some of you ladies, you think it's going to go away when you get married. It's not. Because the enemy of your soul knows that the way he can take down your life the fastest is through your marriage. And the moment that you and I realize that we have been called to live a holy life that honors God first. See, when we, when we step outside of the bounds that he's, he's called for us, it, it doesn't first hurt the people around us. It hurts God's heart first. And then the second people, it affects the people around us. And the moment that I realized that the people outside of my marriage, that's somebody's daughter. Like, that's somebody's son. And I'm called to be not just a lover of God, but a lover of others. We should possess our vessel in a way that honors God and honors our neighbor. And maybe you're thinking, well, Cody, this just, it seems like you're taking this really, really seriously. I mean, like, we live in 2022. We live in a culture where, like, nobody, nobody waits till marriage anymore. Right? I mean, that's, that's rare. And, and, and you know, we just, we kind of have to loosen up a little bit because, like, we just live in these modern times, and this was written for a very specific culture, and I think you're just taking it a little too seriously. Look what Paul says in the letter right after this part. He says, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. God takes sexual morality, he takes pornea extremely seriously, not because he's just this cosmic killjoy, not because he doesn't want you to have a really good time, not because he doesn't want you to enjoy the experiences of life, but he knows how dangerous and destructive it can be. We probably got some campers out here, some people who like to go outside, some outdoor recreation people. You guys know how beautiful a campfire can be. Inside of the context of a campfire ring, it can give life. It could save your life, especially in these cold winter months. You know what I'm saying? Like, that right there, that's life itself. But that fire gets outside of that context and, and hits a tree, hits a bush, and burns down the entire forest. It becomes destructive. It becomes a thing that takes life, not gives life. And God wants us to enjoy this beautiful thing he's made for us in its proper context. Because that's the only thing that's strong enough to hold it. Anything outside of that, it becomes destructive. God is not anti-sex. He's pro-relationship. Who, who do you think came up with the idea? I mean, really? He desires so much more for us. But the thing that he 
hates to see the most is the destruction that it causes when we do it the world's way versus his way. Because to say it as simply as possible, it gets real complicated. You want to know what happened in your relationship? You want to open up the black box of your soul and figure out where things went wrong? Maybe that gives you a little bit of a start. And listen, I'm not up here from a judgmental place. I've got my own past, my own story, my own brokenness where I saw things literally go wrong because I allowed the culture to inform me how to build a proper relationship versus the word of God. And what's amazing is, is that this isn't just, it's not just, it's not just sex. It's not just porneia. It's not just, it's not just two people getting together. It's not just two bodies. It's, it's deeper than that. It, what's, what's actually crazy is the more that scientists discover, the more incredibly amazed I am by God. Isn't that amazing? That the more that we discover, the more probable scscientists believe that, that God, an actual intelligent creator, exists. Many years ago, scientists discovered this hormone in, in our brains called oxytocin. And oxytocin is a hormone that is released when anybody is engaged in sexual activity. It's what makes you feel so good. But it's not just a feel-good hormone. It's actually deeper than that. See, what oxytocin does is when you have an oxytocin experience, it bonds you with whatever you're with. It connects you with whatever you're with. That's why whenever you see a relationship go complete, like you see, how many, maybe you've seen this before, you've seen a, a, a couple, they maybe are dating, and they break up and it becomes like the drama of a lifetime. That's because they have probably shared some oxytocin. It's pretty easy to see, right? You see people losing their minds and for good reason because what their brain has told them is, oh, I'm connected, I'm connected, I'm connected. We're now one, we're now one, we're now one. And then you break up and you rip these two things apart and it says, Oh, I used to be one, but now I'm not. I'm broken. I'm not one anymore. I'm not even whole anymore. I'm a piece. I'm a tiny little piece. I'm a tiny little piece. And then that person then goes and, 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 and shares oxytocin with somebody else. And then they rip it apart. And they're like, I'm an even smaller piece. I'm an even smaller piece. I'm an even smaller piece. And then you go into a relationship and you actually find your spouse. And what do you have to bring them but this tiny little piece of what feels like it's left of you? Oxytocin isn't just released during sexual activity. It's actually also released during childbirth. It's the reason that you feel connected to your baby. It's not just narcissism. It's not just because they look like you. The reason you care about your baby and not the baby down the street is because of oxytocin. You feel hardwired to them because God made it that way. I love this verse in Genesis chapter 224. This is the go-to verse for every bit of marriage counseling. It reveals everything to us about what God wanted for marriage. Genesis 224. That is why a man leaves his father and mother who he used to have a biological oxytocin connection with. He leaves them and he is united to his wife and the two become one flesh, the Hebrew word there is ikad. It's like, it's like welding two pieces of metal together where the weld is stronger than the two pieces of metal. 
the metal will break before the well breaks because we've been hardwired together. There's a better way. And if we do it God's way, it becomes so much simpler. It becomes so less complicated. So instead of starting it on a physical level, we actually started on a spiritual level. And we lay the groundwork there first because we say, you know what? This is the biggest piece. Listen, what you believe about God, what you believe about the world, what you believe about everything shapes everything else. And so the question for, for us to start with is not, man, what do you look like? It's, do you love Jesus? Like missionary dating, I understand that that is a concept, but I'm telling you, if you are in a relationship right now that, that with a person who doesn't love Jesus, you are asking for complicated. You are asking for challenges. And listen, I'm telling you, don't give up on that person, but you can lead them to Jesus outside of a relationship, and then you can come back to them when they love Jesus. But it's got to start with Jesus. What do you believe? Like, what do you believe about humanity? What do you believe about rights? What do you believe about equality? What do you believe about how people find their meaning and their identity? So it starts there. And then after you're like, okay, like we're, we see eye to eye on that. That's cool. The next level you can kind of build up is social because if you want to know what a, how a man's going to treat you in 20 years after all the newness wears off, look at the way he treats his, his mother. Look at the way he treats his sister. And really quickly from relationships, you'll be able to tell if this is somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with. You want to know how, how, how a woman really is? Go be around her friends. See about how they talk about their husbands. Because relationships reveal to us what a person's really like. So you kind of get to meet their friends. You get to meet their family, the context in which they were raised. And you go, hey, I like this. This is good. This is good. I'm gelling with this. And then you can kind of take it a little bit deeper. And you can kind of get into the conversation of just interpersonal things like, what's your stance on politics? What do you believe about things? You more of a cat person or a dog person? Because that's a deal breaker in my house. But you, but you start to kind of get into those things and you go, hey, you know what? We get along. We actually are really good at just being friends, which is so much of a marriage relationship after the honeymoon. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I like spending time with my wife. I like sitting across the table. I like hearing how she thinks. I like seeing the world through her eyes. And you go, okay, this is good. This is good. I think I think I really like this person. And notice we haven't done anything too serious yet. So if we decide to, uh, to back out of this relationship, it's not dramatic. It's just like, hey, you know what? You're a great person, but we're just not, it's just not right. And you can still go to the same church and, still, and not be in a relationship anymore. Because it's not so explosive. Because you haven't hardwired yourself to another person yet. So then you're like, okay, I like this. Let's keep building this thing. Let's keep building this thing. So then you kind of start dabbling in the emotional level. Say, so, hey, let's have some deep conversations about feelings and what do you need, you know? Are you a talker? Are you a verbal processor? You may be an internal processor. How, how, do you, how do you deal with life? How do you process life? How do you deal with emotions? Where's your mental health? You go, yeah, you know what? All this stuff has just been great. We love Jesus. I love her friends. I, we get along on so many things. I love the way she thinks. I love the way he thinks. I think I, I, think I love this person. 
to which then you put the cherry on top, which is the physical aspect. And over all of this incredible way that God has designed for us to build a relationship comes this thing called oxytocin, which seals it all together. It doesn't have to be that complicated. So listen, if you're single in here today, build it the right way, please. As somebody who built it the wrong way, please build it the right way. You will be so much happier. You will be so much more fulfilled. If, if maybe you're, you're like me and maybe didn't hear this, didn't know this, and you allowed the world to inform how to build a proper relationship, let me just tell you, there's hope. You don't need to separate. You don't need to divorce. But you can start to build it the right way. But start building it this way. You go on date night this week and you start on the bottom. You start talking about spiritual stuff. You start talking about God. You start doing a Bible study with your spouse. You start praying for your spouse. You start getting on the same page when it comes to worldview. Then you work your way up. And I'm telling you, God can heal a marriage. He's healed mine. I'm a testimony today that God heals marriages. And he can restore every single aspect of it for you. It doesn't matter how long you've been married or what you've been through. He can give you a fire and an attraction to your spouse like you've never had, not even in the beginning, if you'll do it his way. I want to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. I just want you to take an inventory for just a second. If you're in a relationship, I just want to ask you, as we open up the black box of your life and see kind of where things maybe got off track or maybe the things you did right, we just ask you to take inventory of where you're at in your relationship. Maybe you're in a dating relationship right now and you haven't built it the right way. What is God telling you? What is God calling you to? Maybe you're here today and, and you don't even have a relationship with God. Let me tell you, you need to start there. God is the author and the creator of marriage and relationships. And quite frankly, I've tried to do them without them. I think it only works well with them. So before you worry about any other relationship, you need a relationship with him. And it's really quite simple. There's not some kind of religious checklist you need to go through. See, this guy, Jesus, he loves you so much, he did all the work for you. And he stands here as an open door saying, hey, I want to know you. And the offer is there for you today. If you say, Cody, I'd like to make that decision. I'd like to follow Jesus today. It's real simple. I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's just the first conversation of the relationship. And you can just say right there where you're at, you can say, dear Jesus, I admit that I need you. I admit that I'm broken without you. And I, I need a savior in my life. I need you to come into my life and change me. I believe you lived a sinless life and you died for me so that I could be made new. I commit to you my life. I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, man, you are in the family and you are in relationship with God. And this is the greatest day of your life as you have just embarked on the greatest relationship that you'll ever have. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that is life. It never returns void. God, pray that you would help us to build relationships in a way that honors you and honors the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Amen. Hey, One Life Church family, throw your hands together. Let's celebrate with those who made a decision to follow Jesus this morning. Awesome. Hey, we're getting ready to close our service. And before I do, can we just show honor and love one more time to Pastor Cody Burbage to Create Church? Thank you so much. Incredible word.